Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris back for another episode. This week, another deep dive into Halloween and their back catalog. You go back to 1992, uh, sorry, 1991, and their Pink Bubbles Go Ape album. But boy, has a lot changed for this band as we as we kind of go into the 90s. Before we get there, how are you, my friend? Well, technically, you were right both times because the album was released in 91 and 92, depending on where you lived. Uh, also true. Also but true. It, I'm good. I, I, I'm sorry. I want to just apologize. It's taken us 152 episodes to talk about shit and lobster. So, Well, it's, it, was, it was long overdue, uh, but I assure you we will cover the album and the B-sides in just a little bit. Uh, I, I want to talk about some new music as well, but I just wanted to thank everyone who's recently joined our Patreon page. Um, we invite everyone to check the link in the uh, description. For those that are interested, we appreciate the support. It enables you to make requests to the show, early access to all the episodes, amongst other perks. So we would invite everyone to take a look at that. And again, thank you for your support. And and this episode's a good episode to mention it in because the patrons are getting this one pretty early. This is going to end up in their feed about four or five days earlier than the uh, public release. So uh, if that's if you just can't wait for that next episode to come <laughs> out, I mean, uh, typically we we get it out to the patrons a day or two in advance, but this is one we're doing a little bit further out. And as soon as it's done being edited, it'll be on there. Uh, their private RSS feed. So just a little something extra for the, uh, the patrons, but yes, I echo the sentiments. Thanks to everybody that's uh, signed up so far. We hope that it's been worth your, uh, your time and, and, uh, and money thus far. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. The extra stuff, uh, the, the, the monthly zoom call and the bonus episodes and stuff. It's been, uh, it's been kind of cool, like kind of fun to do a little, a little bit more. And uh, lots more on the way as well. I want to mention three things that I heard this week, all of which could not be any more different, but I got enjoyment to varying degrees from all of these things. The first is a band called OSM. Their album just came out called Plagued by Doubts. They're from France. These guys do a really interesting blend of melodic death metal and symphonic metal put together i i guess you could consider it an ep this this release it only has six songs but each one clocks in you know at least four minutes some of them are, are well over seven minutes really really interesting release i i had been aware of these guys but i had never heard uh you know a proper album by them but this this was really good stuff i'll make sure to post the song by them during the week uh, and then the complete antithesis of that. Are you familiar with Pride of Lions? Have you ever heard of that band or their name of that band? No, it doesn't doesn't ring a bell, actually. They are on Frontiers. They've been around for about 20 years or so. And it's an interesting combination of guys. Um, it's a guy by the name of Toby Hitchcock who does a lot of stuff with Frontiers. And he's kind of a guest on a lot of that stuff. But the other mastermind, if you will behind Pride of Lions is the guy who wrote uh, Eye of the Tiger. So it's a really interesting mix of like melodic hard rock and metal, but done with a modern flair, awesome production, just a really, really cool sound. And I, I bring that up because their new single, Dream Higher, 
was released earlier today. It's May 9th that we're recording. Just a really, really cool sounding band and something that you can kind of put on in the background and just tap your toe to. Catchy, catchy, melodic stuff. So we go from melodic death metal to melodic rock to, to something that I guess could only be described as like folkish doom metal. I'm not really sure what I would call them. The name of the band is called Kornakchuan, and they're out of Finland. Don't ask me to pronounce that or spell it, but it's a really interesting release. A doomy, folky type of thing with with a female vocalist who does quite an admirable job on on a lot of these tracks. Um, Another kind of band that I've not heard mentioned anywhere, but I think it's worth a listen. I'll post one of their tracks as well. And so when I wasn't listening to uh, this kind of oddball released from Halloween in a number of ways. I was listening to all this other random stuff. So it's been an interesting week. And um, knowing what's in the queue for next week, I think we go in a completely different direction than all of these bands. So I, I encourage everyone to take a listen. Sounds like I have a lot of homework to do because I didn't recognize anything you just said. <laughs> I, I, I think you'll I, I'd be curious to get your thoughts. I think Pride of Lions will probably be the one that sticks out the most to you, but I have a feeling you'll appreciate all three. Very cool. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So let's, uh, let's get into Halloween. Let's get into Pink Bubbles. You know, it's, it's funny. We've, we've done a number of albums by this band. We obviously did Walls of Jericho is one of our first episodes. We talked about, uh, the Keepers album together as, as kind of one big, you know, album. And obviously we did their latest release, um, shortly after it came out a couple of years ago. But we go back in time as we kind of march through their entire discography with your choice, Pink Bubbles. And and this is where things go off the rails in many ways. If people were kind of expecting Keeper of the Seven Keys Part 3, that is not what they got. And this didn't come out long after Keeper. I mean, there was a few years in between. But for the most part, they toured the hell out of those Keepers records. And then they took a little bit of a hiatus changed members and came out with this it's it's kind of a fascinating story yes uh it, it's really kind of surprising that the band survived these two albums pink bubbles go ape and chameleon because it, it like between the poor reception uh and the um the unavailability of these of to get these albums in certain regions because of the issue that they were having with noise records who was their their original you know their original label released walls of jericho and the keeper albums um they fulfilled their contract with them by releasing uh, a live album which came out in three different forms depending on where you are it was uh live in the uk if you were in uh europe it was I want out live if you were in the U S and it was keepers live if you were in Japan. Uh, but, um, basically it was the same live album. Uh, some of the versions got rise and fall as a bonus track. I think the American version did not. 
Uh, and then they also released a greatest hits type deal called the best of the rest and the rare, which had uh, pretty much most of the B sides that were recorded during the keeper session, including um, some of the walls of Jericho tracks sung by Kisk. And, but there was a, a, a bunch of drama with the re- with the record label and they would sign on to EMI uh, records who would, you know, would be known for the record label that the Beatles were on at one time. So, you know, it was a prestigious label and, and um, just a number of things did not work out uh, there due to the lawsuit that was going on with noise records. Uh, the album was only able to be released in Europe, I believe, initially. Um, I think it didn't come out in Japan until the following year in 1992, like I had alluded to earlier. And it wasn't released in the U.S. Um, I mean, when we got the albums, when we were in high school, we had to import Pink Bubbles and Chameleon because there was no American version of those albums at that point in time. Um, I'm looking to see when it would have actually been released for the first time in the U.S. And, you know, come to think of it, it was probably when they reissued those remastered and expanded editions of the whole catalog in 20, in 2006. So that's how long it took for uh, maybe there was a release before that. I don't think there was, but um, I could be wrong, but um I remember, um, and I'll tell the story of uh, my first time hearing this album, but um, that's kind of, uh, in a nutshell, what was going on and and what led them to, to this. And then, you know, as you mentioned, you know, Kai Hansen left the band. It was a amicable split. Um, but oddly enough, his supposed reasoning was that he didn't want to do so much touring. Um, and then he would go on to do 25 years of Gamma Ray. Uh, <laughs> so, so much for that. Um, but uh, they um, they brought in uh, Roland, Roland Grappo, who we uh, had the, the pleasure of speaking to, the uh, co-founder of Master Plan and, and still uh, running strong with that band. But um, he would join the band. He was in a, a band called uh, Rampage, I believe, prior Um I used to know, I think like one of the members of Halloween at the time were fans of the work he did in Rampage, I guess. And that's why he came recommended and he comes right in and, and he's already, he's writing songs and he's doing a lot of guitar solos. So he's got some influence right off the bat. He has more songs on this album written uh, than Wikey does, um, which is interesting, but uh they also bring on a new producer, Chris Sangarides, I believe, uh, is the pronunciation, which um, was not something that Waiki wanted, to my understanding. And this kind of begins the the big rift. It, it was kind of like Kisk and Ingo on one side, and and Waiki on the other. And and I think Marcus was more on Team Waiki, and I think Roland was just trying to keep the peace. That's kind of my understanding of that it, matter. but. Yeah, it was it it was very there was a lot of dra- internal drama with this album and, and the following album Chameleon and and like Justin had mentioned earlier we didn't plan for this to work out this way but at this point I think we're just going to go through the Halloween discography chronologically moving forward um I didn't consider that when I chose Pink Bowls Go Ape it was after that that I was like oh we're pretty much just marching through the discography minus the the newest release. So I think 
for the sake of not having to pick favorites, <laughs> we'll just continue down that line. So maybe a few months from now, you'll be listening to the the the, uh, the long-awaited chameleon episode. But um, oh boy, yeah, you you knew I was going to be long-winded when we ta- when I said we were talking about Halloween. So I'm I'm off off and running. Well, let me let me jump in for a couple seconds. Chris Sangarides, for those that don't know, has had a remarkable career. Um, as a record producer and sound engineer and mixer, um, working with artists such as Judas Priest and Ingve Malmsteen and Overkill, who we covered on the podcast, um, and, and obviously a lot of pop acts as well. Um, but just it's just a who's who of who he's worked with. I mean, Black Sabbath and 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 the list goes on. And I say that to say, you know, working with him was supposed to be you know, a really good thing for the band. And, and on the heels of those very successful Keepers albums, um, they really should have taken the next step with this release. And and one of the most interesting things to me was that the band spent close to 400,000 pounds in order to record this. And yet by all standards, I think it was, a really big flop in many ways and not what the band was expecting. And this was partially due to the failure to, to distribute the album widely, partially due to the fact that it didn't even hit the American audience for many years, unless, you know, like we imported the album, you know, years after its release. Um, But it was just a a confluence of events that really kind of set this band back. And it's, it's amazing. They ever recovered with, you know, master of the rings and and into the Darius years in the late nineties. Yeah. That I'm looking, I'm looking forward to talking about that because that is quite the rebirth. But, um, interestingly, like another thing that was kind of in the way was that they weren't able to tour this album right away either because of a lawsuit that was going on. Um, they weren't able to start, touring until about a year after the album was released, which kind of coincided with it being released in Japan finally. And then they would go on to tour Japan. Um, we'll definitely have to post this week the um, the video from German television where they do, they, they uh, do a, there's a pro shot uh, entire concert uh, during this tour that took place in 1992 in Köln, uh, Köln, Germany. And uh, Roland, had the original footage uh, from his personal collection that he posted onto YouTube, which, so we'll post that version. It has some of the tracks that didn't actually make air. It's the full show. Um, but there are some really cool, there's a, a amazing version of uh, how many tears on here. Um, and then a bunch of songs from this album that the band didn't really play live anymore. Um Especially once Andy Darris joined the band, the only songs they ever played off this album after uh, Andy joined the band were uh, "The Chance" and "Mankind" was played very briefly during the Master of the Rings tour. "The Chance" was played uh, through the Time of the Oath tour, I believe. It was on the High Live album. I don't remember if they played it when they were touring Better Than Raw. Did they play it when we saw them in New York City? Do you recall? I don't recall. I don't remember. Well, that's what the internet's for. But uh, so, yeah, like um, it's just a, it's a really fascinating time and a fascinating album. And, and I think that uh, people have softened their stance on, I mean, these albums were, I just remember people just like supposedly hating them 
uh, when, you know, I first got into the band, but then we would reach a point where, you know, we, we bought all the albums and there was only two Halloween albums we hadn't heard. And so we had to get them. We had to hear this, you know, what, what was, you know, these missing songs. Um, I, we both were familiar with the chance from the high live album. Uh, that was really at least my only, uh, knowledge of any of the songs from these two albums. Um, how, what, what was the, you had, you purchased these albums before me. I remember this very clearly. Um, what was your impetus for uh, buying this album in particular? And, um, and you know, do you remember what your initial thoughts were? So I remember buying it because, you know, having had just about every other release of theirs, I needed to hear more, right? So I bought this and I bought Chameleon. I spent a fortune to, to import the albums, but I had to hear them just because I was such a massive fan of the band and I continue to be a massive fan of the band. And I remember absolutely hating these albums. I mean, Chameleon more so. I found it like almost unlistenable when I was a kid. But even this, I always said to myself, oh, the album only has two or three good songs. And I I kind of felt that way for years. I remember buying the album in either 1998 or 1999. And for years, I just said, oh, well, it's got its moments, but it's just a kind of a weak release. But over time, I think I've done if not a 180, darn near close to it, just because my opinion has changed vis-a-vis a lot of these songs. Um, and I'll kind of highlight that, I guess, as we go through the album and we do the deep dive. But um, I, as much as I can listen to Chameleon, I think that I like this album a lot more. And in many ways, in many ways, it's not that much of a departure on certain tracks from the Keeper stuff. It's only a departure for a handful of songs, but like, then again, you also heard songs that like Rise and Fall, which were kind of goofy on Keeper 2, and some of this stuff is not that far removed from Rise and Fall. I mean, it's it's different. Yeah, or, not... or even Dr. Steen. I mean, it, yeah. it's not a particularly serious song. <laughs> well, of course, of course. Yeah. Um, I think so... the biggest thing, I think the biggest change is really losing Kai as a, as a songwriter. Uh, right. you're, you're losing that really half of that that songwriting powerhouse that he was be, with you know with him and Wikey but I've talked about this before like I thought Roland did an admirable job as a songwriter replacing Kai I mean he had a totally different style but he wrote some of the best some of my favorite Halloween songs of all time two of which are going to be on this album but um you know uh Still We Go for Master of the Rings. Um, you know, th- there's a number of songs that he, uh, I mean, just go check out Master Plan's Pumpkins album. It's pretty much every song he ever wrote for Halloween except for Crazy Cat. I have to ask him why he left Crazy Cat off of that because that song is <laughs> fantastic for all the wrong reasons. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember, and I don't know if you remember this, but um, you. Uh, left your book of CDs at my house one time, which probably was the only time you ever did that. Cause like we were attached to our book of CDs, like more so than we were to our girlfriends at the time. <laughs> and, and it was right after you had bought, I remember you bought pink bubbles and chameleon at the same time. And I was like, you know, all of a sudden like this light starts shining from the corner <laughs> of the room. And I was like, Oh my God, I, I, I popped it in. And I remember hearing, I remember listening to, the first 
four tracks, but I remember Kids of the Century and number one particularly like standing out to me. I'm like, holy shit, like there's some there's some good ass Halloween music that I haven't heard before. And uh so I remember I I used a um like a first time coupon with CD now. I started a, a second account and uh, <laughs> under my dad's name to get a discount and I imported the two albums and uh I remember I got those and the Symphony of Enchanted Lands box set. Wow. Uh, all imported from CD now and I remember um staying home from school the day that I was I was expecting them to arrive in the mail. This was before the days of like tracking numbers and shit. Was this to intercept the package so that your parents didn't realize that you had ordered a box set from Italy and two albums from Germany, or was this just yeah, because you my, wanted to on, listen on their credit card? Um, Correct. Yes. I, yeah, yeah. I don't know, that uh, makes sense. So I I, on a, I took a stab and um, guessed they were going to show up that day, and sure enough, they did. And I spent the day playing Castlevania Symphony of the Night and listening to uh, Pink Bowls Go Ape Chameleon and Symphony of Enchanted Lands of all, of all things. Um, and uh, I really liked both albums right off the bat. Um, and I think it was just a matter of if, if hello, if it was Halloween, if there was a Halloween logo on it, I was on board. Like after we saw them at Coney Island high and they did play the chance, I just checked. Um, so we did actually hear the chance live once. Um, I, I was, I was hooked like that. They became my favorite metal band. F. They took the mantle from sabotage. Uh, sabotage had a really strong two years, but, uh, Halloween came in and, and stole the mantle. It's probably more like a year and a half really, but, um, and they've, they've been like the ever, you know, ever since they've been really like my favorite power metal band, power quest, notwithstanding. Um, so yeah, uh, this why I, always tend to have a lot to say when we talk about this band. Well, I think that with that backdrop, let's kind of get into the album because as I said, I've done a 180 on, on a number of these songs. Some of them I still love, but um, lots to lots to get into. This album opens, unlike the Keepers albums, it opens with a 36-second track, the title track authored by the one Michael Kisk, how would you describe the title track on this? I'd like to hear your thoughts right right off. Yeah, the bat. we went from initiation and invitation to Pink Bubbles Go Ape, uh, the title track. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's just this kind of like just a goofy little acoustic ditty that that just kind of opens things up. I it's barely a song, um, but uh, it's got. Michael Kiss fingerprints all over it. I mean, it's just that uh, that that kind of goofiness. His goofiness and Wikey's goofiness were very different kinds of goofiness. But do you want to know what this song reminds me of? You're gonna laugh. What does this song remind you of, Chris? When I was when I would go over and hang out at Ralph's house, when he turned on his computer, his Windows intro instead of like the windows chime he said it so it would play the 30 seconds of pink bubbles go ape and i was Get like out of here. i didn't even know what it was at first that was the first time i heard it and i was like what the hell is this he goes oh it's <laughs> pink bubbles go ape like i should know and so i i wonder i doubt he remembers that ralph as a, a self-admitted poor memory but uh <laughs> yeah i that's what i think of when i hear that that's really funny um i don't really have much to add there except i'll say this 
I find it refreshing that Kisk doesn't take himself too seriously because when you have a set of pipes like that, I mean, they could really could just go in there and be super serious. I find it actually surprisingly catchy for what it is. Um, and then it gives way to like the first proper track, which, which you mentioned, Kids of the Century, also written by Michael Kisk, but arguably the most Halloween sounding song on the album up until this point. In other words, you could have put this on the Keepers albums and I don't think you would have been like, this is a complete outlier. This is um, a song that ironically in many ways has a bit of a gamma ray feel to it. And I know Kai Hansen doesn't perform on this, but every time I hear Kids of the Century, I think of Time to Break Free by Gamma Ray, which Kisk is also singing on, 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 on Land of the Free. Just a really great song awesome layered backing vocals and immediately you can hear Roland's presence because there's this bluesy guitar solo that you know Michael that Michael Whitecalf didn't play it was it was all Roland um, and it's just a phenomenal song with a great bridge and these soaring vocals and, and I mentioned this I think last time I we, we, we mentioned this when you when you were covering the album or, or or mentioned that we were doing this album I saw them play this track live the second night they were playing New York City on their most recent tour, and I absolutely marked out. I never in a million years thought I would hear Michael Kisk sing Kids of um, sing Kids of the Century, but my God, it was so good. It was probably one of my favorite things from those two shows because it was completely unexpected. And I just I, I was just it was such a surprise because they didn't play it the first night, and there they were playing this you know, kind of like a forgotten classic in many ways. It was so, so much fun. Have you ever seen the, um, at Vakken years ago, there was a, this, this kind of, it was a, like an orchestra and metal band combined and different singers would come up on stage. And I think, um, uh, who am I thinking of? X, D, X, Ingve, uh, vocalist. I know that covers a lot of ground, not, <laughs> uh, uh, not, not Soto, but one of Mark the earlier Bulls. guys, um, Eggman, Gordon well, Edmund. No, um, not, just, not him. Um, right. whatever. I'm going to forget. Um, but anyway, he was there and I was just watching. I was like, Oh, this is kind of cool. They're like a bunch of guys come up, sing like older songs. I think, um, uh, Jennifer Haben from beyond the black came out and sang a song. And next thing you know, Michael kiss comes out and they play kids of the century with, an orchestra on stage at Vakken. I was like, this is amazing. Like, and this is before uh, the, you know, Kisk and the band would, would kind of mend, mend fences. I always thought that was really cool. I've always really liked this song. I think it's catchy as hell. You said you think it's the most Halloween esque song Kisk wrote on this album. I think it's the most Halloween esque song Kisk ever wrote period. Yeah. I, I, it's very fair. And he, there's other songs on here that he wrote that I really like, but this one I think is the most in tune with the old style, and it's interesting that they would open with it. To answer your question, no, I have never seen that video, and I think we're going to pause the podcast here so I can go watch it, and we'll be right back. But <laughs> kidding aside, that sounds phenomenal. I, I look forward to it. And that kind of gives way to this interesting tra- track called Back on the Streets. Why don't you talk a little bit about this? Tell me tell me your thoughts, because I don't, I, I don't know that we've ever even talked about half of these songs. We probably haven't, honestly. Um, this is uh, th- this will go down chronologically as the first uh, Roland penned Halloween song. Um, 
I, I, I really like this. I think that it's, um, you know, kids of the century and number one are the two singles that came off this album. And so this kind of is, is jammed in between those two. And I think it kind of holds, uh, holds things together quite well. Um, it's unlike, I think this is really like one of the first times you hear a Halloween song that might not sound quite like a Halloween song. It's different. It's more of a, more of a, like a melodic rock kind of, you know, like a frontiers kind of song. I agree with you, except, except that opening riff actually reminds me of murderer from walls of Jericho at the very, very beginning. And then it goes in a completely different direction because it sounds nothing like anything on walls of Jericho, but you're right. It's melodic. It's catchy. I think the verses are great. If, if the song suffers at all, it's probably the chorus, which is a bit meh. Um, but the instrumental section I think is worth noting because the, the kind of for the forgotten member of this band, Marcus Grafkoff, what a phenomenal bassist that nobody ever talks about and sprinkled throughout these albums are bass solos, this being one of them. And I would just say that it's absolutely you know, refreshing to hear that kind of addition to a, to a metal band. And obviously Michael Kisk sounds phenomenal. So this is a good track. And one of those songs that I don't think I ever appreciated when I was a kid. Yeah. And you know, I, I stand corrected. It's something I said earlier, cause this was another song that was not part of master plans, pumpkins album. So there were two Roland songs that didn't make it onto that compilation. Um, I'd argue it should have. Uh, it's, it's a it's a damn good song. I, I I always really liked it. I think it's I think it was underrated, underappreciated, as are pretty much most of the songs on this album. Um, I have I there are there's at least one song I do not care for very much, and and I'll point it out when we get to it. But um, I, I like this tune. I think it's it's catchy, and and I'm you know i'm a sucker for kisk so just the fact that he's singing on it just makes it better than than most of the songs i would have heard at the time so uh i think it's pretty cool um and they do play it on that um that german uh rock show that i was mentioning earlier we'll definitely have to post that because it is really cool seeing um this lineup you know seeing ingo on drums and Ro- but Ro- roland with Wikey and 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 kisk and 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 Marcus, but I have to echo what you say about Marcus is that I, I noticed like a lot of parts on this album where his bass playing really shines through. I think he's very underrated as a bass player and he's been doing it for so long. And this is also really the first, uh, the first album where um, I think it's the first Halloween album where Marcus has songwriting credits that aren't a B side. Um, so he's, he's starting to kind of, uh, get involved in the songwriting process. Uh, the first few albums though, are, uh, are mostly B sides and bonus tracks for Roland now or for uh, Marcus. So nowadays usually it gets at least one or two songs on the album and, and they usually are quite good. So um, I think he's definitely matured as a songwriter, but you can start to see the beginnings of that here. Yes, I, I agree. And, and kind of when you think back to like, this era, I think they were doing a little bit of experimentation because when you go to the next track, number one, this is unlike just about any song that Wikey had written up until this time. And quite frankly, if you listen to it, it doesn't follow the structure that most Wikey songs not only did back then, but would in the future. This is a real outlier for him. 
and and only one of two tracks that he penned on the album ironically enough and to make it more ironic the next track which we'll get to is the other song he penned and it's kind of a joke track that was meant to be a b-side so i don't know if it was like lack of inspiration or what but number one is really really different and and i gotta be honest I don't love the track. I think it's slower. I think it's more deliberate. And in many ways, it has like an 80s electronica vibe, not in terms of the instrumentation, but just in terms of the structure. It's a good song. It's very simple. You're just waiting for a payoff that never really comes. And it's oddly catchy in many ways, but I I wouldn't say it's my favorite track on the album. I think it, I think it's better served when you don't think of twilight of the gods or one of those old tracks. And if you just listen to it on its face, it's good. I just don't think it's the best track that Wikey ever wrote. And I'm a sucker for his songwriting. Yeah. And I am too. I think that it's just, like you said, it's just different. Like he's not really, he doesn't typically write these kind of mid tempo type type of songs. I mean, if you think about like the songs that he had, written on the previous albums you know you're talking about uh eagle fly free and rise and fall and dr steen and keeper of the seven keys and uh uh you know and a tale that wasn't right which you know was his 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 power ballad so like this is definitely a, a departure and you know like you said it's it's one of only two things that he he wrote uh he was quoted as saying at the time, straight away, I could tell things were going wrong. The show was being run by Michael and Ingo and, and Chris, the producer, simply didn't like my songs. He couldn't understand that certain cleverness they had. And, the, and he, uh, he wanted Tommy Hansen to produce the album, who you know co-produced the Keeper 2 album, I believe. I think he was also the co-producer on Keeper 1. I'm not 100% sure. but um, So it's interesting because the powerhouse you know, songwriting team of, of Kai and Waikie on those first three albums is now whittled down to two songs written by Waikie and, and obviously none by Kai because he's not in the band anymore. So this is a, this album is, is really heavily Kisk and, and Roland doing the, the majority of the songwriting, which is interesting. And like you said, like, this isn't like the, the nowadays where Waikie only writes two songs, but one of them is like the blistering epic um you know much like the the opening track on uh on the the most recent uh, album um it's just kind of like it's almost like an anthem like a like a uh, an arena anthem type song like an yeah. arena rock song you know i would love to hear and i don't know if these things exist so i'm kind of making this up but i would love to hear the wiki demos from this album what kinds of songs was he writing and proposing that never made it onto the album or would he simply just repurpose and repackage them on later albums um it would be fascinating to hear that i'll tell you an interesting fact you might not have known this but um this song was written by wikey in 1981 um really didn't, didn't see the light of day until this album 10 years later so this was a song that he wrote as a young man and just I had no idea. Yeah, I just found that out recently, as a matter of fact. Um, and it's interesting too because, like, just a, a little, a little primer for when we talk about Chameleon. But Wikey write wrote three songs, uh, sorry, four songs on Chameleon, and all four of them are completely different from one another. And one of them is one of my least favorite Halloween songs of all time. 
Um, and one of them is one of my favorite, I, I think one of the most underrated Halloween songs of all time. And, and I'll, I'll spoiler that one. I'm not going to mention what the, my least favorite is. Okay. You'll have to wait six months or however long until we talk about it. But, um, the song first time, which is opens the album, the lyrics are very juvenile, but, um, the song is great. A re- it's a real rocker. It's he- it's it's fast. It's faster than anything on Pink Bubbles Go Ape, in my opinion. And it gives you a false sense of reality as to what the album actually is. But again, a conversation yeah. for another time. Um, the other Wiki Wiki track here is again a track that was supposed to be a B side, aptly called. Wait for it. <laughs> wait for it. Heavy metal hamsters. I have to say, um, it should have been a B-side. It's not bad. It's just so comical that it's, well, I'll see. It starts off with a guitar solo at the beginning, which is actually quite catchy. And the lead riff is also very, very simple, but oddly catchy. The lyrics, well, you know that that opening riff is the Deep Purple's Rat Bat Blue riff. Yeah. They, they lifted is, it right. Right off of that, which I didn't find out until Halloween covered that song on Metal Jukebox. And, I and you're like, like, I know this. Yeah, yeah, I'm the only asshole who's like, they just stole heavy metal hamsters. But no, it was, <laughs> no, it was Deep Purple first, but go the, ahead. The, the lyrics of this song, I, I don't know that there's any way to describe it except for patently absurd. But, but, but this was an absolute hit in my car this week. My daughter loved this song. And when it ended, asked me to play it again. I didn't. We went to going home instead. But she wanted to hear it again because it's there's something about it that I guess is really intriguing and catchy if you're a kid. It's 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 very vanilla, kind of paint by numbers, but stays in your head. And I think the problem here is that Ingo's drumming is just so rhythmic and repetitive that it's just not the best tune on the album. The solos are kind of cool, but you know, I I can only imagine what they were thinking when this thing made it on the album proper. Supposedly, it's about it has something to do with their previous record label, and it was kind of aimed at, at them. And so, yes, it was kind of a joke and meant to be a B side. But sure enough, it ended up on the album. It's not my least favorite song on this album. No, I'll say I that. agree with um, I agree with you so far. I, I agree with you. I mean, it's Wikey. Like, what? I mean, minus the one song, which I haven't. I'm not going to reveal. Um, the guy's never written a bad song. Uh, he's re- he's literally written one bad song, um, <laughs> and uh, I, this is not one of them. I, I just I think it's not a great song, and the the title is goofy as hell, and the lyrics are childish, uh, clearly. Um, but it's it's catchy. I mean, I'll give, and it has like it has that good that really fun double guitar sound during the solo, which is more Halloween than a lot of things on this album. So, I mean, it's an interesting tune uh, I, to be, uh, and also uh, it, the lyrics were co-written by uh, Wykey and Kisk, uh, probably one of the only times that they ever <laughs> collaborated on anything uh, up until, you know, the most uh, you know recent couple of years. Yeah. Well said. An interesting uh, break, if you will. And then we go to going home, which is, another Kisk track. Um, and I have to say, I, I think his songwriting is kind of underrated here because this is another one that's like an underrated rocker that I actually enjoy. It's like power metal meets scat. It's just got this like jazzy beat to it, which is really interesting. 
Again, you can kind of tell that it's a Kiss tune because of the layered vocals. I think because that that's there's a, a slide whistle in the first five <laughs> seconds of the song. That too. But what I what I think about is like that. There's this big, powerful chorus, and that reminds me of things that they would do later on in the in their catalog. Um, this song has actually grown on me a lot, and I think that the solos are cool, including the bass solo. A song that I think is better than people usually give it credit for. I like this song. Uh, right there with you. Um, I didn't like it. I didn't like it when we were kids, but now I'm 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 all about it. I, I think it's a good tune. Yeah, I think it's got a really catchy chorus. Um, I don't know. Like I, I always thought Kisk was an underrated songwriter, and I was I'm disappointed that he hasn't written any songs for the Halloween since he's rejoined. I'm hoping that maybe changes uh, going forward. Um, but. Uh, I mean, I've I, there's some songs on his solo albums that I really love. Um, I, I thought that um, his contributions on the Keeper albums were really good. I mean, a little time and you always walk alone and um, uh, you we got the right. Uh, oh, those were the three songs. big ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you know here too, his songs on Chameleon were definitely more experimental and weird. Um, but I feel like here they kind of kept him at least in a hard rock kind of place. Um, because it, it, to me, like, I think he was pushing for the band to be more of like a pop rock kind of band. And Wikey was like desperately trying to keep it <laughs> as a metal band. And, you know, the I don't know that any two albums ever were as different one after the other as Chameleon and Master of the Rings would end up being. Um, but uh, th- this works for me. I, I Again, like... You have to think about this as like this is an album that people waited three years after, uh, uh, maybe longer, depending on where you live. After these these Keeper of the Seven Keys albums, like you know, tore everybody's heads off, and the the it's lackluster to follow up those albums with this. But like you said, in a vacuum, there's some good songs on here, and I think Going Home is definitely one of them. So I guess the only logical question is someone's crying the next tune, another good one, or does this is miss the mark for you? No, I, I happen to like this song. I think even more than going home. And I'll tell you what, it was Australian power metal band Lord's cover of this song that made me realize how, how much better it was than I really thought because they like kind of meddled it the way it should have been meddled. <laughs> the first time kind of like they did when they they covered the uh the new iron maiden track better than iron maiden did with the better mix yep. which we talked about back, way back when but um th- them doing a, a modern spin on on a song that if somebody was going to name halloween songs they might have they might let, rattle off 50 songs before they get up to someone's crying maybe more maybe um, i would think more to be honest <laughs> with you and um there's also a very excellent uh, version of this on Pumpkin on Master Plan's Pumpkin's album with um, Rick Altsy on vocals. Um, not the last time we'll be mentioning him today. Uh, stay tuned for that. But um, just a really good song. And, and again, I think a, a little a little preview into what we're gonna get uh, from Roland as a songwriter. He um, he he writes this and. and uh, three uh, two of the next three songs um 
so it, it's funny. really good, really good tune. I, I, I definitely like this. And, and if you've never heard it before, I encourage you to listen to it. And if you have, I definitely encourage you to check out Lord's cover of it because it, it's really awesome. I was going through this album, and I think that of all the tunes that I never paid a mind to, this was the one that jumped off the page at me this week. And I'm like, I'm an idiot for not liking this tune. It's basically Zeppelin meets power metal, which makes sense because that's kind of what Roland had, that bluesy background. So it it actually makes sense. The double bass drum, it's here. It's on full display. And it's an album that like, it's a song that's, has the unenviable position of being behind mankind and the chance, which I would argue are two of the best songs in their entire catalog. Um, How high? I don't know, but definitely up there. This song is phenomenal. And I got to be honest with you. I'm kind of hoping that you choose one of those songs as your song of the week, because I'm going to make someone scrying my song of the week, because it's the one that just, I I guess I knew the least, even though I obviously knew the song, but it's the one that resonated with me the most. And, And I have some more thoughts, but I'll share it after we take a listen. Uh, Here's Someone's Crying by Halloween off Pink Bubbles, Go Ape. What I think is worth noting here is that this was a song where I thought the drums were just absolutely outstanding, especially in the instrumental section. All of it, really. The solos, the whole package. This is a great song. This is the kind of tune that if I was to see them live and all of a sudden they started playing Someone's Crying, I would lose my mind. Because not only is it unexpected, I don't know if they've ever played this live. Like That's how much of a deep cut it is in many ways. I am all about it i think that um the fans are the only ones that lose out by them not really touching some of these Roland songs because they're that good um what what a what a great song and are underappreciated at that yeah you have a better chance of hearing it at a master plan show quite honestly yeah really um you know you mentioned that 1992 show or that tour that they did after the album about a year afterwards They didn't play it. So as far as I know, Halloween has never played this live. So here's hoping that when we see them in about 10 days that they'll play it. But kidding aside, I won't hold hold my breath. And that brings uh, us um, to – I wouldn't put house money on it. I'll just say that. Let's uh, let's get to track eight, which is Mankind, the second Roland tune in a row. Uh, This is the epic on the album. It clocks in at just over six minutes or so. Um, This is another gem, but I'll let you take it away. Yeah, this is um I'm going to say something that's that's potentially confusing. 
this is not the best song on the album, but it's my favorite song on the album. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, um, what does that mean? Uh, I'll explain as we move along, but um, it's it's my song of the week. I love. I absolutely love this song. I think it is without a doubt the most underrated Halloween song ever. Um, I was kind of uh, searching the YouTube uh, archives today digging up versions of Andy singing this during the master of the rings tour, which uh, he does a really solid job on. Like, you know, I always, he got a lot of shit for singing kiss songs, like, you know, an octave lower or Or whatever. I mean, the guy had a completely different set of pipes, Um, but I thought he did this song and, and the chance for that matter, uh, justice more than more, more than justice. I I thought he did a, a hell of a job, but this is just a, it starts out with this just slow build and then it just kicks in. It's just a really fantastic song. Like really, really great. Um, why don't we give it a listen and, uh, and I'll be very uh, excited to hear what you have to say about it. So you asked about my opinion. This is a phenomenal song, and it's probably my second favorite on the album. Um, we haven't gotten to my actual favorite, but I love the intro. I think the bass and the cymbals just are a perfect marriage, and it has that epic feel to it. Um, beautiful verses, Kisk's soaring vocals, which is always a highlight, and and what I thought was a very good mix. I think this song is just mixed exceptionally well. It, it's one of those choruses that I don't even attempt to sing because I I can't like, I just, I can't go that high, but I love it. And if I had to give one knock on what's otherwise almost a perfect song, they have this instrumental section, which is just like a Van Halen ripoff in many ways. And it's not the best, but even though it's not the best for my money, it doesn't really detract from the rest of the song. It's just a phenomenal tune. I, I, that was very well said. I think we, uh, I think we said uh, everything that needed to be said about about that song. If listen, if you're if you're out there and you just are not familiar with it, I mean, listen to it. It is uh, it's a really really cool song, very underrated. You know what? I, I'm I was just thinking of something, and then I had a brain fart, and then it came back. Um, so I remember the um, the pumpkin box box set. Uh, that it came out in in 1998, I believe, and it was uh, only released in Japan. And and uh, my my good friend Mike, who we talk about a lot, he he gave it to me as a uh, as a birthday gift. I think the year like a birthday slash graduation gift. I think when I turned 18, and it was uh, 
I always thought it was interesting because um, the third disc on, on this was um, songs from Pink Bubbles and Chameleon, along with a couple of live tracks from the uh, aforementioned uh, Live in the UK slash Keepers Live album. And the those songs stuck stuck out to me because they were chosen to be on that. And it was interesting to me because they, they went with Mankind and The Chance instead of number one, which was a single uh, right, kids right. in centuries there. But um, those were the choices for that, for that, uh, for that, so, you know, that, that little compilation, which I thought was kind of interesting. And so that's why that song was, was on my radar when I was younger, because I thought it was interesting that it was chosen to be on that compilation many years ago. Um, you know, obviously somebody felt strongly about it. Um but then it goes into this next track, which is, oh my God, it's such a dud. I'm sorry, Marcus. I know it's like your first songwriting credit on a main Halloween album, but uh, not. it's just such a blah song. It's uh, And to cram it in between the two best songs on the album, it's such a, it's such a crime. Um, if anything else, it's like, uh, it's like what they call the popcorn match in wrestling where uh, they, <laughs> they need you to like, they need you to an excuse for you to get up and get some th- something to eat and go buy a shirt um, before the main event starts. But uh, I don't know if you feel similarly, but this is easily my least favorite song on the album. So I don't even know. Did you mention the name? I'm doing fine. Crazy man. I don't even know if you mentioned it. No, I the thought name. maybe we could go get by without even saying it. This song <laughs> is, this song is completely out of place. And that says a lot on an album that has a woman kissing a fish on the cover. So I want to, I want to start by saying that. It is goofy even by Halloween standards, and there's goofiness that permeates the entire catalog. Um, that, it's not a bad. It's not no, a bad that, song. It's just I a, was. It's just, I wasn't it's done. Blah. I don't hate it. I don't like it. I don't want to hear it, but I don't feel the need to skip it. Like it's listenable. It's not terrible. It's not very good, but it's not terrible, and it has that jazzy, upbeat quality, which is kind of endearing in a way. I don't hate the song. I think I actually like it a tad better than you do. I will say this. Uh, Marcus wrote a better song during these sessions that ended up as a B-side that I think would have been a better choice, although the expletive in the title might have caused it to be uh, not not included. We, uh, we will get there shortly. This song, or the last two album, the songs on the album are very interesting. The first is The Chance. It's another Grappo song, and I got to be honest – one of my favorite songs of all time, let alone on this album. I am a sucker for this song. It is so tight and well-written. And to your point, a treat to hear live. Amazing lyrics. I wouldn't change a note of it. I just wish I could hear it live again. Um, tight drumming, tight you know, riffs throughout, and just underrated bass lines that kind of drive this thing forward. Phenomenal. And something we haven't talked about the use of keyboards on this track make this song um, really stand out amongst the others on the album. It's shocking to me that we don't have this as one of our songs of the week because, in my opinion, it's probably the best song pound for pound on the album, Mankind being a close second. Well, that's why I said earlier, Mankind is not the best song on the album. It's my favorite, but this is the best song yeah. on the album. It's It's the most Halloween song, in my opinion, and I think this the fact that they continued to play it live well after Kiss leaving the band is proof of that. I'd argue they'd still be playing it if Roland was still in the band. 
uh, from time to time. Um, Master Plan has played it live um, in recent years. It's, and I'm glad, you know, that was one of the things I kind of forgot to mention is that this album on the whole uses uh, keys and synth and synthesization. Is that a word? Sure. Now it is. Yeah. uh, More by far more so than they did in, in the keeper eras. I mean, you know, you have songs like Dr. Steen where, you know, for sure there's that organ and everything, but um, it it feels like there's more, you, you would think that there was like, uh, there should be accredited, uh, you know, keyboard player in the band. Um, and I always thought it was funny that there was like always a guy on the side of the stage playing keyboards when the, the band would play live. I don't know if that's still the case, but that was definitely true a couple of times that we've seen them where there was like, uh, like the, 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 un, the unsung keyboard player that doesn't even get to be on the stage. But, um, this song for, for sure, there, you can definitely hear that, um, kind of like as an overlay throughout the whole song. But, um, the guitar solo is awesome. The 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 chorus is is super catchy. The the verses are super catchy. The lyrics are super uplifting. Um, I think uh, Roland and, and Wikey were battling between the chance and number one for most uplifting uh, song lyrics on the album. But um, this is a real winner. And then when you get to that last forty five seconds and Kiss just hits that high note, oh my oh. god, goosebumps. Just, I was just thinking today when I was listening to the song to hear him sing it live. I don't know if he even could hit that note anymore, but like how amazing that would be. Um, just a, just a really outstanding, outstanding song. Um, I was absolutely convinced you were going to choose it for your song of the week. And so I figured I could get both of the songs played <laughs> on the episode. Maybe I'll just add some audio in the background or whatever just because it's just that good of a song but um yeah just uh i i gotta say roland was the uh i think roland was the all-star on this album um yeah i i agree uh, with you and, and might maybe- be, that might be a new thing that we do every time we do a halloween album we choose the who the songwriting all-star is and uh i think in this case it's got to be roland because we're talking about back on the streets someone's crying mankind and the chance i mean I can't argue with that. The only thing I would say is there is an argument to be made that the chance should have been the last song on the album and they should have flipped it with your turn, which is a ballad to end the album. Not a bad ballad. It's a kiss penned tune, but it's really just a, an acoustic guitar and kiss, which is a winning combination. But I, for some reason, it's a little bit of a downer on the way to end the album. In my opinion, I think that, this song is actually very reminiscent of his solo material that would come out a few years later. Um, and this, you're kind of getting a taste of it or a preview of it here. Um, it, it's in many ways, I would kind of describe it as a show off tune for kiss. Cause he kind of gets to show his range throughout this enjoyable, just maybe not the best way to close the album. You know, even live, he would play the acoustic guitar to start out the song, which I don't know that a lot of people even realize that he, could do that um i always really like this song but again you know me and power ballads um yeah i'm a sucker for i guess it's a love song um i thought it was a cool way to kind of end the album and it's interesting like both of the this and and chameleon has um a very self-indulgent michael kiss song ending it um two very different songs but also two very um songs on the mellow side and definitely 
more reminiscent of Kisk's solo material. I absolutely agree with you there. Um, but I always really liked this song and it has a special place in my heart because when I was helping to um, run the Halloween Future World website, uh, Your Turn was the name of our uh, our chat. Uh, God, what the hell do they even call that? A uh, message, message board? board? Yeah, that's what yeah. those were. Um, and at one point, uh, the band didn't have an official page. Um, so the page went down for a while, a long while. So all of their message board people came over to us to, and our message board just blew up. And I was just like in heaven. I, it was such a cool thing to all these longtime Halloween fans chatting and stuff. So um, shout out to, to Chris Scarrett, who uh, I ran the, the page with it just recently, his server crashed and we, and we lost the whole, all the pages and oh. stuff. And he was like, do you care? Like, do you want me to try to, uh, try and like dig this stuff back up somehow try to revive it and i was like nah it's fine like you know i think the last time i updated it was when uh when keeper seven keys the legacy came out oh wow Um, or maybe even before that but you know this was before social media we would update it with news or what the other ex-members were up to and stuff like that and it was uh it was a lot of fun doing that and i even got the chance to to chat with with uh when he randomly i am to me out of nowhere um just the people laughed at me for putting my screen name on the website well who's laughing now uh, <laughs> but yeah so that's that's kind of what this song another thing that this song makes me think of but yeah i don't know i to me like i feel like this is um i think that the album ends the right way with like the one ass kicking metal t- tune and then ends with the the kind of soft like uh ballad i think it just works here um and it's and it and it's by the two guys who, like I mentioned earlier, kind of the the strong uh, the strong horses of the uh, songwriting for this album. I mean, they 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 wrote about seventy five to eighty percent of this album just between the two of them. So I am very curious to hear your score of this album on a scale of one to ten. But I think we'd be remiss not to talk about some of these bonus tracks. The first of which is a Japanese bonus track, aptly named. Shit and Lobster. You cannot make this up. Um, this was another Graskoff song, but it just didn't make the album proper for obvious reasons. And by obvious, I mean just the title. Um, this is a weird song. This is a song, in my opinion, that would have been well served to be on Chameleon because it's not a bad tune. I actually like it. Um, it's It's oddly catchy. And it's not metal. It's more of like a soft rock tune. But like, there's something endearing about this. It just doesn't fit on the album. So well, 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 well selected to be a B side. I think. I, I also think the lyrics are oddly apt for 2023. If you go back and look at it, it's uh, it's really interesting. Um, but um, this is to me is such a, a way better song than I'm doing fine crazy man, which was you know made the the album proper. It's it is you're right. It's a it's an offbeat, off the wall, weird song, uh, but it is good. It's catchy, and uh, again, it shows that that Marcus has some uh, songwriting chops. And and you know, this appeared, I think, on a later edition of the Japanese version of this album. But it also is, um, it's also a B side on the Kids of the Century single, along with a cover. Oh my God, you want to talk about self indulgent Michael Kisk moments? Well, 
there there's one if you haven't heard michael kisk do a cover of carl perkins blue suede shoes uh made most famous by the, the great elvis presley who Michael Kisk was never shy about uh, having much adoration for. I was um, going to say, who do you think selected this track as a bonus yeah, track? Yeah, it's it's pretty clear. Uh, I'm surprised he didn't manage to to get it onto the main album. Uh, but um, it, he does a hell of a job. I mean, uh, you know, no one's ever going to confuse the the King with with Michael Kisk, but uh, I think he does a really fun job of, of doing this um, kind of metalized version of it and uh, you can tell he's having a blast i make a concerted effort now to turn this over to you because in terms of the number one single there were two bonus tracks i just want you to say it which, which was the one that Whitecath wrote <laughs> less <laughs> less uh ha- hambor- ha- um ha- hambourgeois <laughs> <laughs> Hambourgeois, Walkways. Um, uh, God, I want to ask him about this song so badly, like what what the hell it means. But um, this was one of the two tracks that uh, were B-sides on the number one single. Um, This song is freaking awesome. Um, It is this just bluesy guitar solo, pretty much. It's like an almost six-minute just kind of... um, this bluesy jam session type of type of thing that like had I had I not known any better, I would have guessed it was Roland's doing. Um, this this didn't seem like a something that Wikey would do. And they have this B side during the chameleon days called Red Socks and the Smell of Trees that is like almost eleven minutes long, and it's like this just meandering disaster. It's better um, than the red trees and smell of socks. That's what I've always thought to myself. That's fair, um, but uh, this is, on the other hand, is just a, a just fantastic. Uh, every time I listen to it, I'm like, this is really just impressive. Again, it doesn't. I mean, it didn't make it onto the album, so but nor did it belong on there. But it, it's it's really cool and definitely worth seeking out if you never heard it before because it's just like this slow bluesy number but it's also very very catchy very enjoyable and uh it really just goes to show you like how much reach these guys had as musicians when they kind of dug themselves out of that metal uh you know rabbit hole um there's a lot of interesting stuff i mean you know you'd hear roland sing singing on a cover of uh closer to home um you know, as a B-side years later, like there's some really Halloween was the master of B-sides. Uh, they would just release just a shit ton of these things. And I was obsessed with collecting all of them when I was younger or just hearing them and knowing them all. And now, now I do. And now I can speak grandly about less humble Gorzazi's walks ways. <laughs> uh, it leaves us with one more B-side. You run with the pack. Uh, another Groskopf tune kind of nondescript in many ways but it's a it's not a bad little tune i i think it's a little different than the rest of the album but i kind of liked it yeah again like another song that he wrote that was better than the one that ended up on the album this might have been the one that made would have made the most sense to be on the album of I the agree. three that marcus wrote um it is a bit offbeat i think it is a bit of a an outlier but it, it's a little bit uh it has a little bit more of a piece to it a little more uh more of a toe tapper but uh it's a solid tune i don't think anybody's missing out too much by by not hearing it but um 
It's a good tune. And uh, I thought it was cool that the band would re-release all these albums with all of the, all of that extra material that wasn't, especially in the U S wasn't readily available. Um, you know, they, they would either come out as bonus tracks or they would just have an entire bonus disc of B sides. Um, they didn't record a ton of B sides with this album with, I think there was seven or eight uh, with chameleon and at least, and about seven with master of the rings. They started to record a lot more after this, but, uh, a lot of interesting stuff. Um, I, I, I've been racking my brain trying to decide what I want to rank, the, what I want to give this album uh, on a scale of one to ten. I might let you go first um, and yeah. see what you have to say. But I, I, I also went back and looked at what we ranked the previous albums, and uh, we were both, I think, in agreement. Not on the newest album, uh, but on the the on Walls of Jericho and the Keepers. I think that we both gave the Keeper albums a nine point seven five, and we both gave Walls of Jericho an eight point zero, I believe. Um, so I prefer Walls of Jericho to this album. I think that this album has about five or six songs that are really, 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 really damn good, if not phenomenal. And then it's got a couple of tracks that I'm like, yeah, and then one one kind of dud. To me, it's a 7.5. It's a very good album, and it's an album that if you would have asked me 25 years ago, I think I would have probably said it's a 5. It's not. There's a lot of good material in here. You just got to have to spend some time with it. And and I think that that number has gone up dramatically for over the years for me because, it was, like I said, it would have been much lower, but it's not an 8. It's This album is just not good enough to be an 8, but it's a, certainly an enjoyable listen. Uh, I, let's give it most improved because I think when you first heard it, you gave it a minus three. It's, it's fair. That's probably <laughs> true. Um, what about you? You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to give it an eight and, and kind of put it right alongside walls of Jericho. Um, there's things I like about both albums that are very different from one another. Obviously the production and vocals are much better on pink bubbles. Go eight without uh, question. Um, but you you're missing Kai's songwriting, but then again, like you have mankind and the chance on here. So it's, it's pretty much, uh, it's pretty much even for me. Um, I think that's probably as high as I could give it uh, just because there's just some songs that kind of, I, I don't know. I almost, a part of me almost feels like eight might be a bit too low. Um, yeah, screw it. I'm going 8.25. I'm changing it. Um, it it's, wow, it's, on the fly. Yeah, it's just eight just felt too low. It, it Halloween is just one of those bands that can do no wrong for me. I'm very curious where I land with Chameleon when when we get to it, and I'm curious where you land as well. But um, there's just so there's just so much that I like about this album that like you know that that one dud marcus song and the and, he, and heavy metal hamsters don't really spoil the the fun for me i, I think there's enough just high-end material to to keep it high for me so yeah um i kind of had to talk that one out <laughs> but i'm glad i'm glad we got there um a very fun listen i think um if you're a halloween fan and ultimately i have no doubt we'll be covering them again um so very very interesting stuff i want to just mention a pair of news items that i think are interesting in their own way. 
The first is Metal Church, who's coming out with a new album. It's due out May 26th. It's just another couple of weeks. The album is called Congregation of Annihilation, and apparently they're going back to more of a thrashier sound on this record. I am very curious to hear what they are going to sound like without Mike Howe on the vocals um, who passed away in July of 2021. I think that this album has potential though, and I'm going to actually give it a listen. Do you have any interest in checking it out or is it kind of just like, eh, you know, if, if you I'll check it out, who's, who's their singer now? So I believe it's Mark Lopez of Ross, the boss who has stepped in and taken over the reins full time. Um, not a bad set of pipes, but hard to replace Mike Howe in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Um, there were uh, there were some songs that, that I heard. I'm not a bit. I'm not a big. Uh, I'm not gonna say a big fan. I don't really know that many songs, but the songs I have heard are just like pretty solid. You know, just traditional heavy metal. So uh, I'll I'll definitely give it a I'll give it a shot um, when it comes out. Definitely. So that's number one, and number two, something that I don't think you're going to be giving a shot. Have you heard about Joey DeMaio from Manowar doing a spoken word tour? Have you heard anything oh about God. this? No, no, but nothing about that sentence is shocking to me. So he's going out on tour in Germany, apparently doing about a dozen shows of just a spoken words tour um, in November. And um, you, to care to guess what the name of this tour might be? Uh, I... I'm racking my brain. I wish you I'll gave just, me more time. I would have come up with something clever. <laughs> I'll just give it to you. It's the Words of Power tour. Yeah, you that, could that, not pay me right. enough money to go sit through this thing. But by the same token, if I didn't have to pay, I'd be I, – I'm just curious. So needless to say, I'll be looking at YouTube in November. Uh, but I don't think I could sit through the whole thing. Well, hopefully I'll be releasing it on DVD and Blu-ray and we can watch it at home. I, I, I mean, I've only seen Man of War live once and he did speak for about seven or eight minutes during during that show. I bet yeah, he could have heard Could have heard two songs from Kings of Metal, but instead we got to hear about how high quality the t-shirts made in 1992 were. So <laughs> I wish I was kidding. Uh, no, no, I, I believe that. Um, which brings us to next week. And Not I've quite had- yet, though, because I have... One other thing I want oh, to mention. Oh, yes, please. Go ahead. Another news I uh, just found out earlier today that uh, the uh, German neoclassical power metal band Advance, uh, who I don't know if they ever necessarily said they were done, but uh, apparently are not. Um, they have not released an album since 2012's Facing Your Enemy, um, but uh, the... Um, Core three members uh, from 2012 are reuniting Olaf Lenk on guitars and keyboards. He uh, is the remaining original member of Advance. He goes back all the way to 1998. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Rick Altsy uh, of Master Plan. Um, he was actually the singer for Advance before he joined Master Plan. Uh, he remains their vocalist and follows in in a long line of fantastic vocalists that have been in this band including oliver hartman and uh matt's levin just to name two right there um and rounding out the trio is uh drummer kevin cott who um i believe joined the band shortly after the last album was released and he was also uh he's also a part of the band uh almanac uh, i believe he's the drummer for them as well um so yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I've always been a fan. I thought they were always kind of like this uh, under the radar um, 
band that just had like really excellent uh guitar work always had really like excellent vocalists um i i i got turned on to them uh with their their uh, the evil and you album that came out in 20 uh 2003 just uh, matt's levin's vocals just uh sold me i just there were some really catchy tunes on there so it's 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 i'm just happy to hear it because um they're they're a really cool band and um if you ever dig back into their um back catalog they have a slew of incredible covers um and they actually uh were on this um compilation that came out with a bunch of other bands and a number of songs that they covered include uh shout by tears for fears the logical song by super tramp which is a phenomenal cover if you haven't heard it Eye of the Tiger by Survivor, Desperado by the Eagles, um, Money, Money, Money by ABBA, SOS by ABBA, The Winner Takes It All by ABBA, and uh, and a couple of uh, classical uh, tunes as well. So um, really cool stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm excited. I, I just talked about Advance more than I thought I would, but here we are. Um, sorry to, to interrupt you. You may No, you no, may I, look, I look forward to that. I, I, I don't claim to be a huge fan of the band but i'll definitely check out the new one i have a couple of their old albums and some of them are better than others but um i'm interested i'm, I'm curious to hear what they sound like after uh you know about a decade hiatus um and yeah, with that, spoiler alert i'll probably i'll probably choose the evil in you one of these days to talk about just because I, I that was always the one that that stuck out to me and i think there's a couple of really really cool songs on there so maybe one well, one week where i've can't think of anything else. I'll throw that out there. Not a not a bad choice now that they're back together, especially so. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm curious uh, what you uh, what you got for me uh, next week. I I've had this in the back pocket for a while, and then I kind of thought about when it had come out, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to save this because it's an anniversary of an album that came out four decades ago. It came out 40 years ago on May 25th, 1983, and that's. Uh, Dio's Holy Diver, the debut album from Ronnie James Dio. We have not done any Dio solo material. And then it just kind of hit me that I was saving it for this week. Um, and I've been saving it for a long time. So that being said, we're going way back. We're going back 40 years. We've talked about his tenure in Black Sabbath. We've not talked about any of his solo material. And it all started right here um, you know, with, with Holy Diver. So I, I think that you're going to be pleasantly surprised if you haven't heard this full album. You're going to know quite a bit of it, although not all of it. And I think it'll make for an interesting chat. Uh, I know some of it. I don't know all of it, but at least I know I'm going to like it. So yeah. uh, that's a, that's always good. Uh, Rainbow in the Dark is, uh, although it's probably uh, the most overplayed Dio song, I still think it's a great song. So, it's fantastic. Uh, and did and, anyone and, uh, what, uh, sorry, As, and anyone that says otherwise is wrong. I mean, the it's just a phenomenal tune. Yeah, and then uh, you know, Holy Diver is another one that I absolutely know for sure. But uh, I have to say, the rest of the album, um, I, I don't know that I'm that familiar with uh, the, the rest of it. So I look forward to digging into that. I think that's going to be really good. Yeah, it's a, it's a very digestible album. There's only nine songs, and, and since it came out so many years ago, it's it's not particularly long. I think you'll I think you'll enjoy it. So um, we leave that for next week. If 
you like what you hear, consider joining the Patreon, as we mentioned earlier. Give us a like and a follow. It helps others find the show. And uh, we appreciate uh, all the interaction on our Facebook group uh, at Metal Exchanges and uh, all the other social media. So thank you for that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're a new listener, we've got like a ton of people uh, checked out the typo negative episode we did last week. And we got a ton of um, a ton of action on the Instagram, too. Um, those uh, th- those hashtags, they really they, they, they get people to come out of the woodwork that you like that you wouldn't be able to reach any which way. Um, so a, a ton of um, ton of typo negative and Peter Steele like tribute instagram pages like just i was really interested like just really interesting the outpouring of uh of just recognition of the of of us covering that album so uh good on you for choosing that that was uh really seemed to resonate with a lot of people out there i'm glad and it was selfishly something i wanted to cover so uh got got a little uh two birds with one stone there uh but enjoy the week we'll cover some do next week I'm sure we'll talk about our Halloween experience when we go see them live in a couple of uh, a couple of weeks, and we'll come back. Oh, there will be a uh, there will be a setlist dissection. I'm sure of it. I have no doubt, and since I haven't seen the setlist, uh, it'll be quite the surprise as I walk into that show. So, uh, enjoy yeah, the I week. did see yeah. I did see that there was a a pro shot uh, show that they did in Europe a, a few a couple maybe a week or two ago, um, and I I. Like clicked on it, and then I was like, I don't want to see this this so soon before the show, so I just clicked off of it. I think I saw what the opening track was, but they also um, only played, I think, 11 or 12 songs because it was a festival. I'm hoping that they play more when we see them on tour, but um, I'm also not expecting them to play like 26 songs like they did the first time around, especially with uh, Hammerfall opening, um, which I keep forgetting. Uh, that's always nice when the opening band isn't like a a complete like you know swing and a miss or just like a band that has nothing to do with anything or whatever however i would think most halloween fans will be excited to see hammerfall play so oh i mean i'm 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 looking forward to it they don't disappoint live so um i assume they're only going to get about 45 minutes or an hour but it'll it should be it should be fun and uh you know we'll 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 come back and we'll share our thoughts uh after the show for sure Yes, definitely. Uh, it'll probably be not not our Dio episode, but the one after that will give a little recap. Sounds good, my friend. Enjoy the week, and I will talk to you soon. All righty. Take care, buddy. You got, you got